We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. Glad you guys can be here with us on a wonderful Friday in November. Uh, Cannot believe it is November already. And EJ, I do want to say, I like to think of uh, the Bootleg Football Podcast as the Nevada of sports podcasts because we take forever to put anything out. But my God, do we come through when we need to. I know we are late this week. I know. EJ and I had a lot going on in our lives. I had my third anniversary with his wife, or with my wife, not with EJ's wife, uh, as much as I love I, Beck. I was like, this <laughs> wife? Does she know about the other wife? Yeah. Well, you know, that's how we roll down here in Southern California. But uh, yeah, I know. We're a little bit late this week. Uh, but we do want to say thank you to everybody who's been supporting the growth of the show. We are now at 8,000 subscribers on YouTube, believe it or not. Uh, And weirdly enough, I think we get just as many listeners on YouTube as we do on actual podcast services, Uh, which is interesting how people kind of consume podcast content these days. But hey, wherever you guys decide to listen, thank you for listening. We got listeners in 100 different countries now downloading the pod, believe it or not. It is simply amazing. You guys are the best. We love you. Again, thank you for supporting us and telling your friends uh, and and just kind of chilling while we drink and talk football. It's it's great that we're able to do this for a living. Uh, EJ, my friend, how are you doing and what are you drinking tonight? I am fantastic. The whole 8,000 thing blows me away. I sent you a text about that this week. We were both busy. We kind of missed that ticker going off on YouTube that we'd passed 8,000 subscribers and can't thank you guys enough uh you listen every week you listen when we go long you listen to all of our shenanigans uh you interact with us on all the platforms uh twitter youtube good questions all over the place um you obviously tell your friends and keep doing that because the more subscribers we get the more fun content we can bring you and the more fun ways we can do it um but for the 8,000 of you that have already subscribed and for all the listeners on the podcast services all around the world, unbelievable, unbelievable. We've been at this about nine-ish months now, and to have that kind of support is crazy. So a huge thanks to start it off. I am fine. Uh, we get to talk about a lot of football. Um, it kind of runs together at this point, recording on a Thursday, because we're talking about 
uh, last Thursday's game, which we kind of skipped a little bit. And then we had Sunday's game and Monday's game. And now we've got Thursday and the next week's game. It all starts to blend together a little bit, but lots of football and aren't we lucky to have it. So uh, my drink for the evening is a Booth Bay Craft Brewery beer uh, from the Booth Bay Craft Brewery in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, and it is the Thirsty Botanist, their juicy IPA take. Um, I've had a few of these. My wife brought them back for me from the East Coast when she was there over the summer. Um, not typically a huge fan of straight up IPAs. I tend to like the juicies and the hazies a little bit more, and this one is uh, really, really good. And so I'm, uh, I think it's my last one. So saved it for a podcast. And then for, um, shot of the week, I have a chilled shot of Milagro silver tequila. So I am going the smooth route. What do you have? Uh, so I've got Woodford double oat for my main drink for the night. Classic (laughs) bourbon. As, as good a bourbon as you can get, I think, in my opinion, especially for the price point. Believe it or not, Costco sells big-ass bottles of this stuff for like 50 bucks, which in terms of uh, value for really good bourbons, pretty amazing. I've always said Costco is like uh, the drinker's wonderland because they, they sell everything in bulk for cheaper prices there, including really good whiskey. Uh, and Woodford Double Oak is really phenomenal stuff. And then for my shot... Uh, I kind of took a little inspiration from you last week. You had Pendleton Midnight for your shot, and I was like, ooh, that sounds pretty damn good. So I got that with me tonight for the shot of the week. But to kick things off, uh, we are going to start with the point after, where we address some things that we did not get to talk about on last week's show, just to kind of button up some things. Maybe there's some games we didn't get to talk about or that we hadn't watched yet. In my particular case, I didn't get to watch most of the games because of the uh, fire evacuation, kind of cut into my week a lot. But uh, we have a few big points to talk about on the point after, uh, one of which uh, teams are kind of starting to sniff out that little tap pass, sort of pass, but not really a pass. It's basically just a sweep or a crack toss that counts as a pass that we've seen kind of taken the league by by storm. We've seen defenses really start to adjust to that now about halfway into the year. Pretty much any time you see an X receiver on the line of scrimmage in a condensed formation with the Z like a like really really far back on the other side and motion uh, during the quarterback's cadence, they kind of know what's coming and we're starting to see safeties just fly downhill uh, or sometimes defensive tackles. Uh, who was it? Mario Edwards, I think, got Robert Woods on it last week uh, or two weeks ago, and then Tyron Matthew just absolutely tattooed Braxton Perios in the backfield. Uh, this week got him for like a six-yard loss in the same play. So I, I think defense are start, defenses are starting to get wise to that. And if de- or if offenses, excuse me, really want to start um, getting a little bit more creative with that exact play, I, I think they're going to have to because as it is now, you're going to have to kind of disguise it because I think teams are really starting to zero in on it. Yeah, you're either going to have to disguise it or you're going to have to have as many offensive weapons as the Chiefs. Because the Chiefs can still (laughs) run it. And that's for two reasons. One, Andy Reid and his staff have always been on top of the screen game. They're some of the best screen designers and screen executors in the entire league. Um, I say this as a Chicago fan, which is one of the poorest design and executions of screens that you can possibly see in the National Football League. They make very few yards on them because they do not run them with the crispest. I'm, I'm still not sure Matt Nagy's ever actually seen a successful screen pass before. Uh, not 
not you'd figure having served under Reed and and coached Mahomes in his first year that um you know he he would get it they're sharp on that and they're very sharp on that tap pass and the reason that it still works for Kansas City is there's too many options because if they don't tap it to that guy you're just going to get pantsed because there's too many other options for Mahomes to flip it to a team like the Jets you mentioned Braxton Berrios getting lit up there's not really a whole lot of other options for Darnold if he doesn't tap that so defenses can sell out on that and we've started to see more and more defenses over the last two and three weeks it really started about three weeks ago I saw the first couple get sniffed out bad and then last week uh, there were a few more and then this week there was even more it's down to maybe sort of a not even a 50% success rate unless you're the Chiefs. So it's one of those one of those plays that sort of had its run. All the defensive coordinators started to see it, started to get burned by it, started to see, oh, no, if we see this, then we have to bring this guy. And they've told their guys, they've got that in, you know, they're showing that in the film room and, and guys are starting to react to it. So it wasn't a super long run for that Not play. Not to get too far of a tangent. Go ahead. Not to get too far of a tangent, by the way, um, but that was... When I did my film room on the Bucks defense, where they kept blitzing the nickel over and over and over again, uh, whenever Green Bay was in two back sets where they had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on the field at the same time, it's because they they do that a lot. They run the tap passes to Jones, or when Tyler Irvin was healthy, they would do it with their Irvin. Um, but they run those tap passes out of two back sets all the freaking time. And so Todd Bowles was like, okay, I'm just going to blitz the nickel and bring a free guy off the edge because if you're going to tap pass, guess what? I'll have a body right there that can just stop it. Or if it's a decoy, then I've just got a blitzer in the backfield and what are you going to do about it? So I, I think bringing a DB off the edge, whether it's a nickel corner or whether it's a safety like Tyron Matthew who also plays nickel, anytime you're in a formation or a personnel grouping where, where you run tap passes and teams have data on it now from these offenses – uh, you're you're gonna see nickel DBs blitzing, and that's kind of like the way to stop it. So, like you mentioned with the Chiefs, how they kind of package those tap passes with like screen games, or they just use it to influence linebackers out of the way to open up the run game. Like they're one of the few offenses that that really know how to package it with other concepts. And I think the rest of the offenses around the league, as you said, are gonna have to take a page out of the book because uh, as it stands now. Uh, Blitzing DBs off the edges is pretty much a guaranteed tackle for loss on that play. Yeah, it was free yards at the beginning of the season. Now, eh, like I said, it's probably a little bit less than 50-50. And the problem is, if you don't run it the right way, you're now not on schedule. You're five, six yards off schedule. Yeah, and you're it's as good as a sack. At, yeah, exactly. You're looking at second and 16. Um, not a great way to keep your offense uh, on the field and, and in their groove. But speaking of grooves, uh, Zach Moss, a guy that we really liked. He was one of our 10 uh, offensive gems uh, pre-draft in one of the podcasts we did. Running back out of Utah. Was pretty quiet for the first three, four games in Buffalo. Uh, Devin Singletary carrying the load there. Didn't see much of him. A um, couple weeks ago, started to see him in couple of relief carries started to break some tackles which is really part of his game making people miss and breaking tackles he both has power and a little bit of shake uh and then this last week really started to find his groove and it's it's just really good to see zach moss start to start to get on track um that's going to be a very good thing for you bills fans out there if you've got a one-two punch of devin singletary and zach moss uh especially as the weather starts to turn in buffalo you're going to have a very happy running game yeah, he's he's a perfect complement to Singletary. Both of them are really hard to tackle. Uh, 
I'm not quite sure which one's going to end up as the lead back there. Right now, it's tough to say because their offensive line hasn't been as good at run blocking this year as I expected they would be. And so neither one of them has had a whole lot of room to work with, but I do feel like Moss, on the whole, has done a little bit more with nothing than Singletary has. I would probably assume as we get closer to the playoffs again, considering Moss's size and power, we see him get uh, a more significant workload than Singletary. But I'm with you in the sense that either way, the Bills are set at running back. And I think having a one-two punch of Moss or Singletary or Singletary and Moss, whichever way you want to put it, you could do a hell of a lot worse than that. And there's a lot of teams that I think are pretty jealous of that. Yeah, it was very interesting to see them. We'll talk about it this week a little bit, but very interesting to see them just take it to the Patriots on the ground. Um, It feels really odd to see teams just take the Patriots to the woodshed on the ground. Uh, I'm not used to it. I mean, no Hightower, no Van Noy. It's been a long time since we've seen a Patriots team get shredded up the middle and the Bills really went right at them and had plenty of success doing it. And they're not the first team to do it this year. It's it's just weird to see the Pats be human in certain ways where they've been superhuman uh, for so many seasons. So um, Zach Moss is part of that. And another guy that we missed uh, because we really skipped the point after last week with our short show, (laughs) short show, (laughs) Derek Carr has started to play a lot sharper football. And people say this about Gruden's offense, right? That year one, you're not going to do very much. Year two, you're going to start to get it down. And by by like year three, which is not usually a kind of uh, an amount of rope that a coach or a quarterback combination is going to get, if they don't get it by sort of year two, they're, they're going to start to be on that hot seat. But Gruden famously with a 10-year contract, wasn't going anywhere. Uh, Carr's really starting to get it, and over the last couple of weeks, really weeks six and seven, started to throw some lasers. He had that long touchdown pass to Nelson Aguilar, which looked great catch by Aguilar. Amazing hands in the end zone, but Carr was ripping balls in that game. And Mm -hmm. um, I just happened to watch the video, I think maybe the first video we ever shot at your house, and we were talking about free agent quarterbacks. What we said about Derek Carr is he's pretty good if you don't make him go downfield. You know, get him in the quick game, get him in the screen game, surround him with weapons. Uh, Carr's not that guy this year. Gruden has him dialing up and going deep, and it's been successful. He has ripped off some longer passes with regularity, and he looks comfortable doing it. He's doing it quickly and on schedule, uh, and that's a great development for Raider fans. You know who has the number one passer rating? in the entire league among starting quarterbacks on passes over 20 yards down the field? I'm going to say Carr because we're talking about him, but I wouldn't have known that if I'd had to pull it out of a hat. No. Yep. It is 139.6. That is incredibly high. Yeah, he's lacing it this year. It's it's better than Kyler. It's better than Dak before he got hurt. It's better than Wilson. He's got four yeah, touchdowns. Yeah, I would go with like no Wilson picks. and Rodgers, just having watched um, Aaron Rodgers put the finishing touches. Oh, no, I, ag- I agree. Irish. Like, they're they're better deep ball throwers. But it's just amazing to me that his passer rating, again, four touchdowns, uh, no picks. He's, let's see, in terms of adjusted accuracy percentage, which like takes out throwaways and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, the only starting quarterbacks that I see in the league that have a higher accuracy percentage on deep balls... Weirdly enough, Philip Rivers, uh, Cam Newton, 
Nick Mullins. What? That one's surprising. <laughs> Not after tonight. <laughs> considering, yeah, considering what we just watched, that'll probably go down. But, you know, if, if only Newton and Rivers are ahead of you. Oh, and I guess Tannehill, too. Uh, oh, and I guess yeah, Tannehill, I could see for sure. But Tannehill he's, is he's top pretty deep. Seven? He's top seven. Yeah, at least. and it's like, really a piece that we didn't see or didn't predict going into the season. We really didn't think that's where Gruden was going to try and take his game. That he was going to yeah. have him take shots for sure, because you need to with any quarterback. But that, not that that was going to be a, a centerpiece, a focus. And the Raiders are gunning. Look, they went out and drafted Rugs. Um, Aguilar looks like a, a new receiver to me in a lot of ways. Um, he's catching touchdowns. I know that's a pain to the Eagles fans out there. Uh, but you know, this has become a real sort of staple of the Raiders offense and it's not a rarity. It's not a one-off. It's not just thrown in for, for garnish, right? This is a staple. They're trying to get it done. They're using the run to set it up. They're using play action to set it up. And then Carr is ripping it. He's letting it go. Yeah, they don't throw it deep as much as a lot of other quarterbacks. Carr, I believe, among starters is somewhere in like the mid-20s in, in terms of like deep ball uh, attempt, like attempt percentage, like percentage of passes over 20 yards out of his total attempts. It's like 8.5%, which I believe is in the mid-20s somewhere. But when they do throw it deep, they hit on it the vast majority of the time. Again, he's like top seven in accuracy, number one in passer rating, four touchdowns, no picks. A big part, I honestly believe he would have more deep ball attempts if Ruggs didn't get hurt for a couple weeks there in the middle of the season. But oh, for the, sure. fact, the fact that Ruggs is on the team and, you know, whenever Edwards gets fully healthy, that's another one too. Uh, and Waller, who's a great deep threat as tight end. The fact that he actually has the weapons to stretch the field now, and it's not just Waller catching a million balls with occasionally like, uh, you know, Tyrell last year going deep, but it, it was a rarity. The weapons make a difference. He's got pass protection. He's got a run game that actually threatens people, so it sets up play action and forces all these linebackers to come way downhill. Uh, it's it's a perfect situation for Derek Carr, and I'm just happy to see him kind of getting back into uh, that kind of 2016 form, which was like prime Derek Carr. He was an MVP candidate, hyper-efficient, hyper-accurate. The Raiders were winning a lot of games, then he broke his leg. And it took until now, basically, for him to get back to what he was. Uh, you know, is he as good as, um, you know, Watson or, or Wilson or Mahomes? Obviously not. But I think Derek Carr has proven that he is a franchise quarterback for the Raiders and he can win a lot of games for them. They're a legitimate playoff contender with him. And if the defense can at least just improve a little bit and the offense can stop getting freaking hurt, like they already beat the Chiefs this year. Like they proved they can take on juggernauts and actually beat them. They are a legitimate threat in the AFC, primarily because Derek Carr is playing so well. Yeah, and Mayock looks like uh, he's just he's got that Cheshire Cat grin right now because there was a lot of talk in the offseason about Derek Carr being moved out, about Gruden, you know, having another quarterback as the apple of his eye, maybe drafting somebody high. And Mayock steadfastly said, nope. Cars are guy, and of course, you know, GMs in the offseason, they say a lot of things. Uh, Ryan Pace said Trubisky's our guy. So there was a kind of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sure he is, Mike. And I think Mayock was just as sure then as he is now that, nope, we're going to surround this guy with weapons, 
and we've got a plan for him and we're going to get him back to that 2016 form and that's exactly how it's worked out and i'm sure nobody's happier about that than mike mayock yeah uh so phenomenal i guess you can call it a short rebuild (laughs) by mike mayock it only took like two years for them to become you know legitimate contenders in this division so well done by him well done by gruden uh, and with that being said, we got to get to the shot of the week because we had a doozy for a winner last week. And you guys voted uh, almost overwhelmingly for the one that I picked myself. And you guys happen to agree with me. And that's Cole Holcomb absolutely just tearing Zeke wide open in pass protection. I mean, he ran his ass over on a sack. Uh, I believe it was Andy. Was that before Andy Dalton got hurt? I think it was. Uh, so I think he sacked Andy Dalton to play, but he just ran over Zeke, which is a rarity in pass protection. Zeke is one of the best pass protecting backs we've ever seen, at least as a prospect. And Holcomb just, whew, he put him in the dumpster. So uh, shout out to Cole Holcomb. You're the winner of the bootleg shot of the week. EJ, you ready to celebrate this thing? Indeed. Come by. <sighs> oh, man. Yeehaw. Whew, I'm feeling good. Okay. Uh, yeah, better now. <laughs> yeah, better now. Uh, not feeling so good this week. Probably Lamar Jackson because he got the absolute shit beat out of him by the Steelers defense. TJ Watt was all over him. So why don't we talk about that Steelers-Ravens game? We can always count on Baltimore and Pittsburgh to be a uh, hotly contested, highly physical matchup between two great defenses. Seems like every single year. You know, they call it the black and blue division for a reason. Every single year we see these guys just beat the crap out of each other. This year was no different. I'm sure Lamar had to spend an extra long time in the cold tub after that one. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is the Steelers' defense, even with all the injuries they sustained, the style that they play in terms of showing a quarterback one picture before the snap and then constantly rotating to show something else after the snap, and then packaging that with a four-man rush that can get after a quarterback and speed up their clock while they're trying to read all these coverage rotations and all that kind of stuff. It's it's no secret why Lamar, as a reigning MVP, has trouble with this defense, because they really play tricks on young quarterbacks that, again, even for as great as Lamar is, he's you know consensus MVP for a reason. For as good as he is... He's still a young quarterback that still hasn't seen everything. And when you're getting all these rotations and you're seeing, you know, two high before the snap and all of a sudden they're rotating to one high, but maybe it's not like a a straight up cover three. Maybe it's more like a cover six or, you know, maybe they're showing cover three and then they spin out to like a quarters look and having to read that and then trying to determine what your best matchup is while TJ Watt is breathing down your neck. Like it, it's extremely hard for a young quarterback to do that. Uh, and, and it's no, it's no wonder why half of all the games where Lamar's had at least two turnovers are against Pittsburgh. It's two out of four. And uh, you know, even last year without Ben, that game was almost won by Pittsburgh because this defense just frustrated the hell out of Lamar. So I think it's less about, well, Obviously, they have great talent, but it's less about the talent and more about the fact that their style of defense at this juncture with how young Lamar still is, it's kind of his kryptonite. And when they rematch on Thanksgiving, I think we're going to see it again. Absolutely. And Pittsburgh deserves a ton of credit for this because, yes, they're talented, but 
Um, I think they're talented in a way that suits them. And we've talked about this in the past that they're very good at choosing people that fit their system. And that's not necessarily uh, folks that are highly prized in other systems. And that allows them to get some value. Now, TJ Watt, look, you could plug him in anywhere. He is a (laughs) fantastic pass rusher, super versatile, uh, quick twitch. Uh, He's going to get there. He's going to generate pressure. But two of the biggest plays in this game were made by Spillane and Highsmith, right? Yeah. Those are guys that I don't even necessarily know crack the starting roster um, anywhere else in the league. It's possible with Highsmith. He He was somewhat coveted. But Spillane, I don't think so. But Spillane is a star in the Steelers rotation. Like he's had three or four big plays. Now he got hurt. It's a bummer. Uh, But he's had three or four big plays for Pittsburgh over the last two or three weeks. Anywhere else in the league, I don't necessarily think that's true. The Steelers are really good at finding guys to fit their roles, put them in the right roles. And then, like you said, use the, the defense as an organism, right? One part supporting the other part um and all the additions right uh you know bringing minka in to totally solidify their sort of deep third and backfield and having a versatile chess piece that can come up guy that can hit back there the fact that they rotate those coverages uh and that they look they don't need to blitz very often they can produce really consistent both containment and pressure with four and that's mm-hmm. a luxury that a lot of teams don't have. Yeah, and I I hope that I, I haven't actually looked for the update for uh, Cam Hayward's injury. I hope he's going to be okay. Uh, it it kind of seemed like he got hurt and then came back in the game and then hurt it again. But uh, Hayward in the middle has been a big factor in their pass rush because he's so good on the interior and two, it's been phenomenal as well uh, on the interior Stephon pass rush. to it. We need to Ugh. talk about him. I mean, he's, he's defensive player of the week, but we have not mentioned his name on this show. And I feel dirty for that because he has, he's played at an extremely high level in this game. Particularly. He just went off like he had a monster day, eight solo tackles. And again, from the spot he's playing, that's pretty high two sacks and three tfls he absolutely deserved his afc defensive player of the week and was a force in you know look lamar's not an easy guy to contain and he Mm -hmm. looked confused he looked flat out confused and frustrated you know what his play as i watched this tape and ran it back you know what i thought you know who i thought he looked like to it no, Lamar Jackson when he's facing to it in that defense. What did he look like? He looked like Cam for the last three weeks. A, a tick slow. Just yeah. the clock the clock off. Uh, I wrote down that it looks like Lamar never set his clock back for daylight savings. He's just too slow in the pocket versus a very good Steelers D. They came up with sacks. They came up with that, that early pick to... Spillane was clearly him just not seeing the rotation. The Highsmith one was very different. The Highsmith play was a great play. He had the back, but he sort of floated, I call it, in between. He played the tweener coverage, and he made Lamar Jackson guess as to whether he was going back or going forward, and he played it perfectly. Like, you have to run those steps perfectly in between those two targets, and Lamar just couldn't wait anymore. He got near the sideline. He flipped it, and Highsmith picked it. Uh, you know, most guys are going to knock that down. Um, 
those are the kind of plays from players again that aren't necessarily headliners and when you have the headliners you know hayward and to it and watt crushing in on you you don't get the luxury of going oh, what's he doing over there like you need to pick and lamar looked just a tick slow doing that and it's because of all of those factors again working together especially Hayward and to it because interior pressure is Lamar's worst nightmare because he's so used to being able to just kind of sit back there uh you know with how good that offensive line is he's used to be able to just kind of sit back there and then he'll step up and bob and weave and slide away but when the interior collapses almost immediately which when you have Hayward and to it guess what it's going to collapse almost immediately uh, it it forces him to play faster than he wants to. And like you said, it, it looked like he, he just didn't set his clock back for daylight savings. He just couldn't do it. And, and we're not saying that Lamar is not going to be able to do it, but there's a pattern emerging here with him versus this Steelers defense, and it's not a positive one. He's going to get another crack at it in a couple weeks for Thanksgiving, but for two years now, we, we've seen him struggle against this defense. And if... Now, it's a big if. If uh, they get Hayward back, and because I think their only other major injury they sustained was uh, Bush, who got hurt a couple weeks ago. But if they get Hayward back and he's full go for that game, uh, man, I I just, especially without Ronnie Stanley, I just don't like Baltimore's odds here. I, I really don't. Yeah, we should talk about the things Baltimore did well because they didn't get blown out of the stadium. And one they didn't of the get blown that, out, but we're just, we're used no, to seeing them blow people yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, no, they got beat for sure. I'm not trying to say that they deserved to win the game or anything else, but they they kept it competitive, and largely the way they kept it competitive was with the run game, and it was yes. very odd to again see the Steelers front get gashed and you might say oh you just said the Steelers front was really good the Steelers front is really good but both of the backs that were featured for Baltimore Dobbins and Gus Edwards had really good days Dobbins was sort of the outside guy Gus Edwards was setting up the inside runs running extremely hard good strong burst up the middle he averaged 5.4 yards per carry on the day, and Dobbins averaged 7.5 yards per carry on the day. And they were a one-two punch that really kept the Ravens in the game, controlled the time of possession, and moved the ball when Lamar was, again, struggling to make the reads in the pocket and, and find receivers open. They just go back to the run, and they ripped it off at a very good clip all day. And it, we're not used to seeing that against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is one of the best teams in the nation at really shutting down the interior run and the Ravens ripped them there. I mean, the, the second back had 5.4 yards on the day. The first back had seven and a half. That's, uh, that's enough to carry an offense. And if Lamar can, you know, limit the mistakes, that's enough to win the Ravens a game. The big key was forcing missed tackles. Dobbins had five forced missed tackles. Edwards had one. Uh, he had a few really nice cuts. Edwards is not really a guy that's going to make you miss, but he does get yards through contact, not necessarily from forcing missed tackles. But Dobbins forced several missed tackles with five. Lamar had four forced missed tackles. So their yards after contact was 141. That's like triple the total amount of yards almost triple the total amount of yards that Pittsburgh was allowing total per game leading up to this week. And just after contact, Baltimore was able to do that. So again, it's 
It's not that they weren't getting guys in position to make tackles, because they were. It's the fact that Dobbins and Lamar, for the most part, were the ones that were able to force those missed tackles. That's why Dobbins had over 100 yards. He got half of those. It was 65 after contact. So uh, if they can do that again on Thanksgiving and just control the game with the ground game, I felt like almost uh, Baltimore almost gave the game away a little bit by trying to lean a little bit too much in the passing game, even though the running game was working, which led to that second Lamar pick. I didn't really feel like they had to throw it there. Um, I think in Thanksgiving, in the rematch, they might learn from that and then just run, 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 especially if two it's hurt. Or not to it, if, if Hayward is still hurt, which again, I haven't checked on his injury yet. Uh, because that was kind of the only thing they were doing that was having success, was just getting guys in space and, and seeing if they could break tackles. Yeah. And then we have to bring up our uh, boot one of our bootleg shots of the week. Um, so end of the game, Lamar throws to the end zone to try and win the game. And Minka Fitzpatrick, largely, Justin Lane was there as well, but Minka and Justin sandwiched Willie Sneed to break it up. And it was really Minka. And he bent Willie Sneed in half. Yeah. Like, he hit him as the ball arrived. There was, there was three three Steelers there and I feel bad for Willie Sneed speaking of the cold tub he probably spent some time there but Minka's gonna be our nominee because he was he was the straw stirring that particular particular drink and he mashed Willie Sneed so that's our first bootleg shot of the week nominee for this week Minka had another one on Lamar at the goal line he kind of went a little bit high got him in the chin but Lamar wasn't really a indefensible player so I don't think they're really gonna call that you could technically have called it, but I don't think they were going to. But he tattooed Lamar on the goal line and stopped him short on one of those plays. And I tweeted out right after. It's like, please, for love of God, don't don't let Lamar run up the middle on this defense. He's going to get hurt. Because Minka was, uh, oof, he was coming downhill with some aggression in this game multiple times. He's, he's one of those free safeties that's really not afraid to hit you. Um, let's see. What other notes we got for this game? Uh, I put down, like, don't say Juju's name almost at all anymore and that's amazing again it it's a factor of of pittsburgh drafting wide receiver very well of ben taking the open guy uh more than he used to focus early in his career when you guys like plaxico burris he would sort of force the ball a little bit more as a more mature quarterback he will absolutely take the open guy claypool's come on uh amazingly quickly deontay johnson very good He's got a lot of options, and it's weird that we don't say Juju's name because he had the most catches and yards in this game for Pitt, but he was also the quietest. And the one thing I find really interesting about his stats this year is that his average yards per catch have plummeted. For the last two years, he was right around 13, basically. He was 12.9, and he was 13.1 for the last two years. Um, now it's under 9. It's 8.9 for this year, so it's a that's a pretty big drop for one year and he's playing a much more sort of supporting role and the flash plays if you just watch highlights the flash plays are all the other wide receivers and juju is again we were thinking of him as a sort of uh, almost sort of pushing into that league you know league leading tier uh over the last couple seasons and now like through eight weeks it's been extremely quiet for juju smith's year there's been kind of a change of role for him um where i think because when you look at skill sets like this offense is designed around skill sets it always has been and always will be and 
for a long time when it was Juju and Antonio, you know, for that one big year they had together, uh, Juju was the big slot, Antonio was the X outside. And Juju would be the guy who would run like, you know, shallow crosses and like settle in between zones and got just a ton of screens. And he was he was the volume guy, uh, but the reliable volume guy, whereas Antonio was the we need to play right now kind of guy. And then when Antonio left and then Juju had to be both the volume guy and the we need to play right now kind of guy. And he would he would get the best corner from the other team. And I, I personally don't feel like that's that's Juju's game. I don't think he's like a dominant um, outside receiver that can go beat the Stephon Gilmore's of the world consistently, like say Antonio Brown does or DeAndre Hopkins does or you know any of those kind of guys. I feel like Juju is at home as a big slot where he's running the crossing routes, he's settling in between zones, he's getting screens, he's getting some some carries every now and then. He is that that really good volume support receiver, and then. We saw the emergence of Deontay Johnson, who I think is better at separating versus man coverage than Juju is. And obviously Claypool is an absolute monster as well, especially against man coverage. Those are two guys that I think play better on the outside and can dominate press man coverage on the outside. And Juju has kind of gone back to being relegated in that big slot role, uh, but he's not getting as many targets in that big slot role as he did when Antonio was there, which is... That's really the the main storyline to me is I think it's less about uh, a change for Juju because he's doing the same thing he did a few years ago when he got 1,400 yards. I think it's been a change for Ben who it, overall it, it doesn't quite look the same. Like he's, he's distributing, he's making good decisions, um, but I feel like the arm... I, I know they said his elbow is 100%, but I, I just I don't believe that because I don't feel like the arm is there. He's not as aggressive as he used to be. The passing game overall is not what it used to be, and therefore Juju's numbers in that supporting role have come down. Now, in this Baltimore game specifically, again, he had a really big role because he was the guy settling in between zones on third down. He was moving the chains. You know, that volume... Uh, role showed up in this particular game but when Deontay's fully healthy and when Claypool's fully healthy I just I don't think that that he's gonna have that same kind of volume that he used to mainly because I don't think Ben's gonna be throwing it like he used to yeah they're not gonna prioritize him so I think that was one of the things uh there were some other small notes from this game but we should probably move on because we're 40 minutes in, which is regular territory for us. And we have talked <laughs> Are about we already? Jesus. one game. <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to move on to some, some happy notes here and then uh, shift to the other game of the week. But first we want to thank the folks that make this podcast possible. Yes. Our sponsor this week, once again, is Manscaped, uh, huge friends of the pod. They are the best brand in men's grooming today. Uh, I've personally used their products for years. EJ has been using them for a while now as well, since they've been sponsoring the pod. And uh, I've had multiple iterations of their famous lawnmower body trimmer, which I know you guys have probably seen all over the place by now. They're all over online. They're at Target. They even ship to the UK and Canada now. So it's you know one of the biggest growing brands in men's grooming. And I got to say their newest update, the Lawnmower 3.0, is by far their best trimmer they've ever released. It's waterproof. It has a replaceable ceramic blade with their skin safe technology to stop those painful nicks and cuts, which I know we've all gotten every now and then. And those suck. It's got a really strong motor as well to cut through even the thickest of body hair. Shout out to my Lebanese guys out there. 
I use it weekly, and I also use their new nose hair trimmer, the Weed Whacker, a lot as well. The Weed Whacker has a 9,000 RPM motor with a 360-degree rotary dual-blade system, and of course, it also has that same Manscaped proprietary skin-safe technology to help prevent those nicks, snags, and tugs. Or if you're not in need of any new trimmers right now at all, but you still want to up your grooming game, Manscaped also offers a wide variety of excellent colognes, body washes, and deodorants that all smell fantastic and leave your skin and hair feeling amazing. And my wife can attest to that because to this day, she still thinks the Manscaped body wash is the best smelling thing I've got in my shower. And she said that for probably about a year and a half now. So uh, she means it. So if you're interested in the Lawnmower 3.0 or the Weed Whacker or any of Manscaped's other great grooming products, and again, they ship now to Europe and Canada and all over the U.S. and they're in Target. They're everywhere. Head on over to manscaped.com and use promo code bootleg for 20% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is promo code bootleg at manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And with that being said, EJ, let's move on to Rams Dolphins, which to me was one of the more fascinating games of the week. Um, Mainly because we kind of see Brian Flores versus Jared Goff part two, and the result was kind of the same as Flores versus Goff part one in the Super Bowl, where he was just all over him from start to finish. Uh, it, it was a brutal, brutal showing for this Rams offense. Uh, honestly, there was nothing that Goff could have done. The pressure was relentless. The coverage was great. You know, even though Miami's offense was honestly kind of putrid, they had, you know, lower in almost every single offensive category than the Rams other than turnovers. Those forced turnovers from Miami's defense because of that relentless pressure really made a difference in this game. And Honestly, even though the score uh, is what it is, it, it wasn't that close. Like it, this was a this was a massacre to me. This was a Flores flex against Sean McVay. Quite frankly, yeah. He basically said, "I don't think your guy's good enough." And here's what I'm gonna do: I'm gonna give him the outside, one on one, all game, and I'm basically gonna do cover zero. I'm basically gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna blitz zero. Everybody's gonna be singled, and I'm gonna bring the house every snap until Goff shows me he can really gash me with it. And, and look, didn't. run and cover zero, you can get gashed, right? You can give up the seventy-yard touchdown if the quarterback can hit it. And my main takeaway in watching this film is Flores had no respect for Jared Goff whatsoever. He did not fear him in the slightest. It started early, they went off, and and they didn't let up. And they had great results with it. Now, it didn't look great for Flores' squad right off because Michael Brockers nails Tua early on. (laughs) He just, he, Michael Brockers is a very tall individual. Tua is not a very tall individual. and, And just the, natural sort of meeting of those two in leverage Brockers picks him up and drops him on his back and it's staggering you didn't see Tua get hit like that very often at Alabama so it's a little bit shocking I'm sure it was to him too Um, but it ends up being a sack fumble early in the first and really sort of sets the tone or you think it sets the tone for the Rams that hey that really powerful Rams defensive line is going to be all over Tua he doesn't have a great offensive line in front of him 
Um, but the Brockers hit ends up being a bootleg shot of the week nominee because he just flat out flattens him, puts him on his back super hard. Sack, fumble, Rams take over. You think, oh, this is going to go a certain way. Um, nah, not so much. Uh, it definitely turned around. Um, we talk about Robert Woods every week. Uh, he scored on that sweep play that we talked about at the top. Uh, he runs that play every week. He doesn't score on it every week, but he runs that play every week. If you're watching Rams film and you're not looking out for Robert Woods coming across the formation to grab that, I don't know what you're watching because he does it every week. He scored on it this week. Not a surprise. Um, the Rams look pretty good early running the ball. Um, Darrell Henderson, a name we've mentioned on this podcast a lot, more than speed. Nice little stiff arm to get around the edge. And then he's just money. If he can, if he can again, uh, you know, break a tackle, force a missed tackle, get to the edge, beat a defender with his speed, then he's really going to open it up and gain yards. Um, but Woods, going back to Woods, such a good football player. Xavier Howard's gotten a lot of attention as a really good corner this year. Woods blew his doors off with route running for a nice catch on a first down. Um, just absolutely. We're talking about three, three and a half yards of separation, like wide, wide, wide open. And Which is hard to do against Xavier Howard. Exactly. You're talking about a good corner. This is not some rookie that doesn't get it. Robert Woods is a technician. He's a powerful football player. He will run the ball. He'll catch the ball. He blocks. We say this every week, but he's a very complete football player. Doesn't get his due. Had a great day powering the Rams offense. Seven catches, 85 yards, a reception, uh, two rushes, uh, only nine yards, but that one rush TD. So two TDs on the day. Um, Wood's a big part of this offense, but we we got to get back to that, the pressure and really the cover zero blitz pressure that Flores just chucked at Goff all day. Goff threw a horrendous pick early on, and I, I got to check my notes here. He threw it to Christian Wilkins? Yep. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> he threw it to, like, they said that on the broadcast. I was like, no, that's, they just missed the number. He didn't throw it to, no, he did. He threw it to Christian Wilkins, which I love it. The <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, <laughs> the broadcasters were like, and that's the first career pick for Christian Wilkins. I was like, no kidding, really? Um you know, massive defensive lineman's first pick. Wow, I'm I'm stunned. But the reason but here, here, you want to know pick, how they did it, though. Yeah, go ahead. So, so here's the thing: when they run those kind of blitzes where they're they put six, seven guys in the line of scrimmage, the only reason why Wilkins dropped out is because he got engaged on the slide and protection. And when they run those blitzes, and get Belichick does it a lot too, is as soon as you get engaged, like when you're running zero, it doesn't matter uh, if you bring with seven guys. The only goal is just to get one free. And so when you get engaged, there's only so many, like, okay, how, how do I explain this without a diagram? I'm so used to diagramming this on the Nah, thing. there's only so many lanes, right? So There's only so many it, lanes. If you get engaged, you've done your job. Somebody had to step up to get you, and now you just drop back and put your hands up. Exactly. Because, somebody because if else, somebody's blocking you, then somebody right. else is going to be free. There's and so a space. Since, yes, since he was, uh, I think it was Agba came free off the edge. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, 90, 91, that's Agba. So against zero, one of the main things that offenses do is they'll block inside to out. And so Wilkins was inside, so they're going to block inside out. And as soon as he gets engaged, he knows, hey, I, I, well, odds are Ogba's coming free, which he was. Jared has to get it out. 
he's going to throw it quick and over the middle because he doesn't have time to set his feet and throw deep. I'm just going to drop into the window and then boom, he's right there. So it was a brilliantly designed blitz, something that Belichick runs all the time. And obviously Flores, being a Belichick disciple, runs it all the time. And you would think that Goff would see it was coming because they do that every single week. And he still fell for it. Yeah, there's we go round and round about Goff and we probably should at a later date. But at this point, the worm started to turn Uh, what had started off looking like a pretty good Rams game. Uh, quickly unraveled. Tua comes back from getting planted early in the game and rips a nice slant throw to Devontae Parker for the TD. The accuracy on this throw is the thing I want to bring listeners' attention to. If you go back and look at that first TD from Tua to Devontae Parker, look at the placement. Like, Devontae Parker is, is not open much, and he's not open for long on that route, and Tua puts the ball right on him. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the strongest points of to his game is his accuracy and his ability to deal those throws. This was a, I don't want to say textbook. This is a very good example to Devonte Parker. He had a very small window, both of time and space, and he put it right where he needed to for both. It's a touchdown. Um, Goff comes back, throws another horrible ball under pressure that Xavier and Howard should have picked. Xavier and Howard was in good position on this one. They don't come up with it. But they don't let up either. They keep bringing it because at this part, Goff is starting to unravel. Um, Mm -hmm. Taylor Rapp comes in and hits his fellow Huskies alum, Miles Gaskin. I always love it when two guys from the same school are like, now I get to hit you for real. Um, (laughs) Forces a fumble. Taylor Rapp is a a try-hard guy, and I don't say that as a – I actually like Taylor Rapp a lot. I don't say that as a backhanded compliment. He's a guy that's going to bring it every game. Um, has a real lunch pail mentality, comes in, slams Miles Gaskin. The Rams recover. They're back in business. Um, you know, good play for his team. Uh, but then again, the relentless pressure when the ball goes back the other way. And this is another bootleg shot of the week nominee. Now from the other side, Manuel Ogba, a guy we talked about earlier, explodes Jared Goff for a sack force fumble. The Dolphins scoop and score. Van Ginkle picks it up and runs like, I don't know, 70 yards. And they pick up points off this because Ogba hit Goff and it was like a truck hitting a watermelon stand. That ball came popping out and forget it. It was over. And it was on yet another zero blitz where they blocked inside and out. They brought six against a five-man uh, empty pass protection. And I, it was on Goff because, again, the free guy, if you're in zero, the free guy is the quarterback's responsibility because you can only block five with five and the six guys on the quarterback. You have, uh, it was Daryl Henderson was motioning at the snap. I remember correctly, he was open in the flat. You're literally just supposed to hit him hot and say, go okay, hot, go, go make, hot, go hot. And just go <laughs> make, like, and he, I think he also had Woods or. Uh, if, it might have been Reynolds uh, on like a shallow, shallow cross over the middle. Either way, throw hot. That's what you do against Blitz Zero. You don't hold the ball and get tattooed. Yeah, but that's the thing with Flores is Flores knew that all that was possible and all those options are available. It's not like the Rams offense is poorly designed for those of you listening at home. It's not. It's well designed, but you have to hit it and you have to hit it under pressure. And Flores said, if I pressure him, he won't hit it. And I'm going to keep hitting him until he does it. And he never did. And so Flores just kept pounding him. 
He never let his foot off the gas. And by the end of this, I mean, even the commentators were like, they are exposing them right now. The Dolphins are exposing the Rams. And they did. They basically pantsed them on national TV. So it was not pretty. Didn't get better. Um, Big shout out to Jakeem Grant. Guy loved as a return specialist coming out. Uh, goes 88 yards on the punt return. This is after he had about a 50-yard kick return earlier to set the Dolphins up. Um, Mid-second quarter, great job by Jakeem Grant. Ends up being the special teams player of the week for the AFC, and rightly so. Goff gets nailed again. Again, huh? I bet you could name the defense. (laughs) Blitz zero. (laughs) Yeah, pressure zero. And he throws another pick. This one goes to Eric Rowe. Um, And then Goff gets strip-sacked. This one's to Shaq Lawson. Uh, We talked about the before the season we talked about the rams sort of or not the rams the dolphins team building philosophy and the fact that they were just assembling guys on the defensive line to rotate right that it was going to be wilkins and they grabbed lawson and they grabbed ogba and they grabbed all these guys that maybe had had limited success other ways but we said they're only gonna have to be in for 10 to 15 plays a game they're gonna keep them fresh and they're gonna bring them in waves and sure enough what's brian flores doing he's keeping them fresh bringing them in waves lots of pressure uh, everybody's just getting to pin their ears back and go for the quarterback, especially in this game. And I wrote in my notes, this is a feeding frenzy. So Goff got strip sacked by Lawson. Dolphins end up inside the 10. Um, and the other thing is going away from this, just about every team that plays the Rams from now on is like, huh, so we're going to dial up a bunch of cover zero. <laughs> right and i guarantee you know sean mcveigh and goff are in a bunker right now and mcveigh is like so this is what happened and this is what's (laughs) gonna happen next week and this is what you're gonna do because if you don't want to get the tar beat out of you for the rest of the season you have to hit this guy or this guy and you have to do it in 1.5 seconds or less and until that happens, look, it's a copycat league. People are going to throw the kitchen sink at Jared Goff until he burns them. And if he doesn't, the Ram season is going to unravel. The Like one of the few times I actually saw him get the ball out quick. You mentioned Eric Rowe and it reminded me of this. Uh, one of the few times I saw him get the ball out quick against zero and there was a lot of zero, but one of the, one of the few times he actually like recognized it and was like, okay, I got to throw before Ogba tears my head off in under two seconds. <laughs> Roe was sitting out there and he literally did not take a single step backward because he knows if this, if this fucking idiot thinks he's going to throw the curl behind zero, I'm going to pick it off and take it for six. And he stepped right in front of it and then dropped the pick six. And I'm like, oh my God, you had it perfectly. You knew he was throwing it. You knew he, he was going to rush it. And he dropped the pick six. Like this, as bad as this game was for Goff, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. And it totally that is an indictment. Worse. And it's, it's, zero is, look, it's high risk poker, right? Yeah. The risk yeah. is high and the reward is high. But one of the things it does is compress your defense. If you have physical but not fast corners, zero may be for you. <laughs> because the yes. bottom line is, if they can stuff people, they don't have to go more than 10 yards because the quarterback can't throw it more than 10 yards in 1.5 seconds. And 
you know, either you're going to get stymied against that line, you're not going to run zero with proper spacing, and nobody's going to get home, and then you're exposed because you you brought too many guys and you they've got numbers. The offense has numbers against you. Um, but that didn't happen in this game. Flores' guys are well-coached enough that their spacing was good. And look, they all have individual talent, and if you're keeping them fresh, it just... It was a bum rush. The The Rams line is not that bad. They're not as bad as they looked in this game. But, but their quarterback... Six with five. <laughs> exactly. Their quarterback didn't give them any help. And like Brett said earlier, the six rusher is on the quarterback. And if the quarterback does not make the right decision, and that was the gamble Flores was making, and, and he won big. He hit, you know... He hit red when he bet red, and he's, he's, coming, he's coming away with all the chips. Um, so... I think this sets a little bit of a precedent for people saying, hey, Goff struggled with that before and he just struggled with it again. I think we're going to dial up a little bit more of that. And he's going to see a steady diet of heavy blitz pressure one-on-one in the back end until he can start hitting hot. You know who uh, the Rams play in two weeks? Who, Brett? Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay oh, Buckingham. Jesus Christ. You Sorry. thought you saw a lot of blitzes this oh week. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's either going to be must-see TV or must-turn-off TV because oh, Jared it, Goff it is going to turn into a fine pink mist. Oh, man. Uh, that's going to be rough. So, All right. Well, those are our two games that we're featuring. We have a new title. You guys have told us over and over again that Blitz is a funny title for a section that lasts an hour and a half. And we believe that's true. We are slow like Nevada, but we we didn't think that was very uh, we didn't think that was very apropos. So we've changed the title. We changed it a couple of weeks ago. We didn't get to debut it last week because we had a short, well, shorter show. Um, somebody guessed on Twitter, and they were very close. But the new title is no longer the Blitz. It is fourth and long, which we think is really good. <laughs> Usually we talk about three games, and this would be the fourth section. Uh, but fourth and long seems appropriate. We're going to try and keep it a little bit shorter. We've heard you guys loud and clear about length that you are fine with longer podcasts. We are no longer trying to, uh, preemptively keep these short. Uh, but we're going to blow through some of the high points of these games, talk about two or three things, definitely call out the bootleg shot of the week nominees, uh, but try and keep them moving. And first up is Raiders Browns, which is a pretty interesting game. The conditions we are starting to get later into the season. It feels weird to me. I don't know if it does to you, Brett, that it's already November. I went to write a date today and I was like, 10. Nope. It's 11. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The wind was ridiculous. One of the early field goals bent a field goal attempt more than the width of the post. That is to say the kicker started it out to the right and it missed left. They were getting gusts of up to 40 miles an hour, and that definitely influenced the game. Um, What do you want to talk about in this game? There's some things I want to hit. We talked about Derek Carr at the top uh, in the point after. Anything that stood out uh, to you before we get to the (laughs) darn near the end of the game uh, and one of our bootleg shot of the week nominees? Well... Guess who has two thumbs and decided to play the Raiders kicker in fantasy despite being in a game with 35-mile-an-hour wins? 
this guy. You? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound good. Uh, yeah, Zane Gonzalez was on by, and I was like, oh, yeah, Daniel Carlson. He's in a good offense. Let me. And I totally didn't even look at the weather for the game. And then the first thing I saw from that game was the highlight where he like literally kicked it wide right, and it still hooked around and went wide left. And it and missed was like, left, yeah. Well, Whoops. shit. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to be a winning strategy for my fantasy team. Uh, yeah, it was it was rough. I, I, there was one deep ball that Carr threw where the wind just grabbed it and took it like an extra 15 yards. And I was like, why even bother in this game? Like, just run the ball, which they did. You know, like you said, it was 6-3 to three at halftime because the, there's, there's nothing you could do in, in a wind game. You just can't throw. Uh, and so everybody was just playing for the run. Backers were flying downhill because they're like, go ahead, throw it behind us. We dare you. Uh, and anytime anybody tried, it just wasn't working. Uh, well, one of the reasons, one time, the Browns tried to throw deep to Jarvis, and this is our, our shot of the week nominee from this game. Oh, God. Uh, LaMarcus oh, God. Joyner. Woo! That was a rib cracker on, on Jarvis Landry. I just want to throw up talking about this. I sent you this hit, and I was like, as I was going through film, and I was like, you got to watch this. It's, like, it's so good and so bad all at the same time. People say that you can't turn away from a train wreck. And trust me, folks, I've I've seen a train wreck up close. It's not pretty. This was one of those. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner in the end zone, shallow zone near the goal line. Uh, he has a great play before this where he knocks the ball away in shallow zone. Hey, great play, LaMarcus Joyner. And then they get Landry free in the end zone, and LaMarcus Joyner comes up, knows he can't play the ball, times it and puts a shot in Landry's upper back that is one of those that you just hear especially in a stadium with no fans or limited fans you just hear the crack Landry bends in half ends up on the turf like this hurt Landry like he took a while to get up it it hurt him. Like, this is going to be the kind of thing that at the end of the season, Landry's going to say, so, you know, week eight, I took that shot. I played with three broken ribs for the rest of the season. I just didn't want to tell anybody. That's the kind of thing he's going to say in, like, January. Um, LaMarcus Joyner mashed him. He This is absolutely a bootleg shot of the week nominee. It was a clean hit. It was well-timed, but it was massive joiner's always been a hitter he's a compact guy he knows how to concentrate his force and he knew he couldn't get over the shoulder and get to the ball so he just tucked his arm and blasted landry in the back with his shoulder um big big shot legal broke up the pass two great plays in a row in a row by him right down by the goal line um that was those are sort of the highlights Uh, i wanted to highlight ogan joby Almost getting a big sack, but he tagged uh, Derek Carr's face mask, and I mean barely. It was not a grab and hold. It was a it was a five yarder, but that penalty kept the drive alive. It was a huge swing. It's a game of inches. Like you're swiping at a guy, and you happen to get bars. Um, Ogan Joby was certainly not trying to do anything dirty or ugly. Uh, and you know, these are the little things that that swing ball games. Yeah, I mean it's a sixteen to six game in massive wins. Just one one or two plays honestly changes that game. Like if Landry catches that touchdown, that would be huge. 
you know, but Joyner timed it up perfectly. Again, game of inches. Uh, you know, if Jarvis already had that ball secured, knowing Jarvis, he probably could have survived that hit and still made the catch. But Joyner got there at the exact split second he needed to. You know, Larry got the sack, but again, gets the penalty. Football is one of those sports where it's incredibly hard to predict because the smallest, most minute things going one way or the other changes the outcome. Now, the game that you and I just watched tonight, Packers-Niners, not one of those games. I think that one. <laughs> the uh, that one was pretty well. Packers would have kicked the was, shit out of them no matter what. But uh, uh, Emily Kaplan, who is uh, one of my favorite analysts, she is actually the lead analyst for hockey now. Uh, but she was a football analyst for a while. Um, she ends up on ESPN's Around the Horn. She was on Around the Horn today, uh, and they talked about, um, you know, do you think that you know the NFL should play a game with? you know, blank people that have had COVID or, or whatever. And she said, I never want to see another press release that starts off with our primary concern is the health and safety of our players, our staff and our coaches. She's like, no, it isn't. The primary concern is getting the games played. Like if the primary <laughs> concern was the health and safety of the players, they wouldn't be playing a game tonight with the San Francisco 29ers. And I say that because I think they can only field 29 guys. So shout out to em- Emily Kaplan for um, a being a, a tremendously smart analyst. Yes, she works in hockey now, but um, lives in Chicago and was an NFL analyst for a while. Um and also speaking her mind and saying the truth, which is the NFL is they know if they make more adjustments that finishing this schedule is going to be very, very difficult. Um, they're going to have to lengthen the season and there's there's great complexity and cost to that. So they are playing it as fine to the line as they can um, trying to get through COVID protocols. So um, game of inches, both for the league and the players. Um, but yeah, interesting May we live in interesting times. Yes, we do. And speaking of interesting times, Jets, Chiefs. Uh, We talked about that tip pass at the top. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty game, so we won't spend a ton of time on it. But uh, Meikle Hardman scores on it, uh, a weaving one early in the first, that tip pass. Again, if you're Kansas City, you can still run it. Um, And then the Chiefs fake punted. Is there a mercy rule in the NFL? The Chiefs, (laughs) I'm going to repeat this, the Chiefs fake punted against the Jets. That... I, I think they should have gotten a flag like reflexively there just for like, you're too good and they're too bad. You shouldn't be trying to cheat them. Uh, here's but they here's my theory. Go here's ahead. Here's my theory. They knew they were going to win this game. So <laughs> you think why? But you know, teams are going to look at the film. You got to put it on film. It's a tendency breaker. Now I'm pretty sure they literally just did that so that they could show, Hey, we might run a fake. Yeah, by the way, out of this particular look, you know what? They're my... gonna they're gonna get a directional uh, they're gonna get a directional punt out of that because uh, again, you gotta you gotta keep guys up if you think there's gonna be a fake. Uh, so I think this is they're using this literally. I think they're just using it to set up a free path for like a gunner or a fold guy or something in the future. Like there must be some sort of uh, punt coverage that they like against somebody else that they know they're going to see in the playoffs. And so they want to show this to keep guys up so that they can get some sort of like coffin corner punt out of it in January. That's the only explanation I can think of is they just want to put it on tape. I love the theory. Like I, I legitimately love that theory. Uh, My theory is different. Um, And it's more, it comes in the form of a question. So 
the Chiefs also blocked a punt in this game. And later they downed a punt at the three yard line. And here's hmm. my refrain. And as a as a Chicago fan, I gotta bring it up because one of the greatest of all time that will go into the Hall of Fame, I believe this, for being a special teamer, Devin Hester, played under a guy named Dave Tube. Mm-hmm. And Coach Tube coaches in Kansas City now. And guess what he coaches? He coaches special teams. Special teams. And we're talking about four plays here in a game against the Jets, a meaningless game against the Jets, where Kansas City special teams was on point. And this has been my broken record refrain for the last three years. When does Dave Tube get a head coaching gig? Because people say, oh, he's not an offensive guy or a defensive guy. Well, guess who else? We just talked about one of his games at the top of this broadcast, right? Harbaugh was a special teams coach, and he's turned out all right. When does Dave Tube get his shot? Because his teams are always on point. I mean, he's been Andy's special teams coordinator, I think, since he got to Kansas City. So he's going on seven, eight years now of having elite special teams, you know, before that he was with Chicago forever. Again, you know, he was, uh, he was Hester's coordinator in Chicago for, I think his entire, his, cause Hester started in 05, right? If I remember correctly. So like, this so- was something we were talking about when tube was in Chicago and then coaching situations changed. Lovey gets fired. Tube ends up going over, helping out Andy Reid. He has continued to coach at an incredibly high level. And I hear people every year go, you know, they they talk about the hot offensive names. They talk about a coordinator on this team, right? Eric Bieniemy, And and I, I am a huge Eric Bieniemy supporter, but I'm also a huge Dave Tube supporter. I'm like, you can get a coach. And look, special teams coaches, people say, look, they don't coach offense. They don't coach teams. They know both of those guys. They have both of those guys on their teams, right? Special teams is made up of offensive guys and defensive guys. So they have even more of a window into both sides of the ball. I think they're ideally positioned. And a guy like Dave, too, who has coached at an extremely high level for many years now, greater than a decade and doesn't get a shake when head coaching vacancies come up. I mean, like, honest to God, Jets fans, I wish that the Jets ownership would say, look, we're firing Gase at the end of the year because, look, they need to tank out so they get their draft spot. I get that. And our first coach interview is going to be Dave Tube. I would be so excited because he's a really good football coach. Like, forget the special teams part. He's a really good football coach. And when does he get his shot? This whole special teams thing has just kind of got to go the way of the dodo. Plus, he's he's a former offensive lineman that also has been a defensive line coach and a strength and conditioning coach and a special teams coordinator and a quality control coach. He has experience, both as a player and a coach, on both sides of the ball. And he's been around Andy Reid for 30 years now. And like, he was around Lovey when they went to the Super Bowl. I mean, like, it's not like he doesn't coach. have pedigree. You know, he's a yeah. great coach. He's got a ton of experience. His teams are always on point. You do not see the Chiefs get pantsed on special teams really freaking ever. And yet nobody mentions him. Like, they're going down the list and they're talking about guys who are, look, clearly never going to get the job. And Dave Tube didn't get an interview. And I'm like, 
why? <laughs> yeah. Why? So anyways, that's my broken record. I will step off my soapbox and we can clear on to the next game. Yeah. Uh, Colts-Lions. This one was way, way wider of a margin than I thought it would be. It, like, if you told me that the Lions would be struggling completely and utterly on offense until uh, Matt Stafford uncorked this bomb, uh, you know, late in the game. It was, what, like 70 yards through the air or something like that. But overall, the Lions really struggled on offense in this game. Uh, the offensive line, which was one of the better pass-protecting offensive lines in the entire league, was really struggling with this Colts front. Uh, Darius Leonard proved his value 10 times over. Uh, he was all over the field. Uh, and obviously, you know, Rivers also, I think, had kind of a vintage performance too. Like, th- this Colts team, this was probably the best game I think they played all year. And even though they've had their problems, and I'm not quite sure if they're going to match up uh, with the elite team, the other elite teams, I should say, in the conference, you know, the Chiefs, the Steelers, arguably Baltimore, um, maybe Buffalo. Like, I, I don't know if if they're quite at that level, but if the defense has a day like like they had against Detroit, and if Rivers has a vintage day like he had against Detroit, man, they could beat anybody. Yeah, Stafford was literally bloodied by the end of his by the end of the day. His non throwing hand uh, had blood running down. It took five sacks and seven hits. He got beat up. But the point mm-hmm. I want to call out is a guy that we've called out over and over again as a difference maker for the Lions and really a, a, a sort of temperature changer for the Lions, and that's Kenny Galladay. He went out with a hip yep. injury, and what do you know? The Lions looked super average on offense. And this was the yep. same when he was out for the first couple weeks of the year with an injury. We've said it over and over again, and I'm going to say it again. When Kenny Galladay is in this offense, they are different. They have an alpha down-the-field receiver. We saw it in their last-second win against Atlanta. He made amazing catches to power this team, and when he is out, they are different, and that is the end of it. Marvin Jones is not going to be the guy that can come in and, and say, oh, I'll I'll take up what Kenny Galladay's slack, right? It's not happening. So Galladay goes out with that hip injury, and the Lions just struggle to move the ball on offense. Now, all the other things are true. The Colts defense played extremely well. Phillip Rivers, oh, man, he dropped one in the bucket right before halftime down the sideline to Naheem Hines, who had an amazing game, had an amazing oh, first couple move. of weeks. And then, you know, yeah, well, there was Hines's play where uh, he hit in the second quarter where he had that spinning screen TD that was just a flash. Great play. Spins, gets into the end zone, does a, you know, backflip with a half gain or twist. Like, amazing. But then right before halftime, Rivers just flips one and drops it in the bucket down the sideline to Hines again for the TD, his second TD. Just nutty like that again vintage rivers we're not going to see too many more games like that out of rivers so appreciate it um but again the lions just sputtered on offense without galladay and and that shouldn't be a surprise if you've been listening to this podcast because we have been saying that galladay is it's hard to call him an mvp but if you're talking about truly most valuable player which mvp is not Gaudet is one of those guys. His team is different and much better when he's in the lineup and much worse when he's out. Yep, 100%. He's he's the straw that stirs the drink, the non-quarterback straw that stirs the drink for them because he's such a huge difference maker. 
Uh, difference maker for the Colts on defense, by the way. I, I want to make sure I talk about him as my one note for this game. That's Danico Autry, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't, I don't even know if I wrote him down in this, but he had a phenomenal game. He was their best pass rusher. Like It wasn't you know Buckner. It wasn't anybody else. It was Danico freaking Autry, who had six total pressures in this game, two sacks, four other hurries, just kicked the crap out of every single interior lineman uh, for Detroit, especially Jonah Jackson, who had kind of, I think this was like Jonah Jackson's welcome to the NFL moment. Uh, <laughs> Danico Autry, this was him like, you know, him thinking, oh, Danico Autry, I don't have to get that ready this week. It's just Danico Ooh, Autry. Man. And then Danico Autry turns him into a turnstile and he's like, oh, on any given Sunday is a real thing. Oh, that's what a grown ass man looks like. Okay, duly yeah. noted. Um, yeah. yeah so it, it was it was funny. Like they were sliding towards Buckner, and then Autry just took the one on ones and just murdered him. He had a great day. So yeah, uh, yeah. Leonard, overall, this Leonard was the sizzle in this game, but Autry was the goods. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Overall, great day for that Colts defense. And uh, it's, I, I can't remember who the Colts played this week, but I remember it was another pretty exciting matchup but overall that that defense just keeps impressing me week after week after week and as long as they stay healthy and they keep playing like this assuming leonard you know can stay healthy yeah uh, rivers you know they they, they, they can go pretty far they can go yeah as long as rivers arm hangs on and he doesn't make those silly decisions in the second half to give the other team free balls uh the colts are the colts are gonna do just fine but i want to talk about this titans Bengals game a little bit yeah we can go through it quickly but this is, look, Burrow, we've been talking about Joe Burrow since before he was drafted, since he's been drafted. Um, Joe Burrow is not the problem in Cincinnati. Cincinnati got a real one in Joe Burrow. We know about that. Shows off his connection with Higgins early in the game. It showed up throughout the game. But he's got a beautiful rookie year going. He is the highest rated rookie mm-hmm. QB, even higher than Justin Herbert, who's been, again, putting up the flash and the sizzle. But uh, PFF said Herbert is the sizzle and Burrow is the stake. And he's got the most completions. There's a bunch of stats he's leading for rookies. He looks so incredibly cool. And I'm just going to skip to the very last bullet in my notes. Bengals beat the Titans. Not a typo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The Titans are, we have talked about them as a powerful and complete football team. Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry giving them a kind of yin and yang, like uh, their defense being very physical, their offensive line being built to push Henry to the finish line. The Bengals beat the Titans and it was not a fluke. Like, no. the Bengals flat out beat the Titans. And if there is no Joe Burrow, there is no that headline. Period. Um, look, he had help. Gio Bernard's looking healthy again. I couldn't be happier about that. I really love Giovanni Bernard. Um, but, and he got some help from, you know, Jesse Bates picking off Tannehill in the end zone. That's a big swing. We talked about a game of inches earlier. Um it, there's a lot of things that have to happen in any particular football game. Um, we can even mention Logan Wilson getting the only sack of Tannehill on the day. Uh, but Burrow just won't quit. He'll take his weapons. He hit Higgins. He hit Boyd to cap off the drive, score a touchdown. They just went toe-to-toe with one of the best teams in the NFL and beat them, even though they are clearly inferior as a roster. Like, there is no one that will look at the Bengals roster and and look at the Titans roster and say, oh, yeah, those two things are equal. 
They're not. And the difference, quite frankly, is Joe Burrow. So I I predicted the Titans to win this game. And here's why that was a mistake. The Titans have the worst third down defense in the league. They allow 62% of third downs to be converted on defense. That's atrocious. Like nobody else is even close. The second one, the second, or I guess the 31st ranked team is Carolina at 54%. So like it's, it's not close. And the last quarterback that I would want to be bad on third down against is Joe Burrow who is really mobile, really great on the run, easily uh, you know, picks apart zone coverage, which the Titans run a lot. And all of the, the crazy kind of coverage rotations and the sim pressures and all the stuff that we love from Tennessee that I thought was going to confuse Burrow, they didn't really use those on third downs at all. You know, like they were, prote- like Cincinnati was protecting with six guys and saying like, go ahead, come after them. Because if we give him two and a half seconds, we know he's going to pick you apart. And I thought they're, I thought they'd be able to confuse Burrow a little bit, but the fact that they couldn't get any pressure on him uh, was a big part of the reason why they went or they allowed ten out of their fifteen third down opportunities to be converted. It was sixty six percent, even higher than their season average. Uh, again, because. They just they could not get after Burrow. They couldn't confuse him. All the fancy stuff that we know them for, they weren't really using it on those third down opportunities. And I don't know if you saw it, but the um, the final third down to Tyler Boyd that kind of iced it, where yeah. he made he's kind of stepped up from pressure, made that that throw to a spot, and had that like that psychic connection, and Tyler just turn around and snagged it. Yeah, if there's two throw. plays. If there's two plays from this game, like if you're not familiar with the Joe Burrow experience, you may, maybe you're new to the podcast. Let's just say that. <laughs> you're not familiar with the Joe Burrow experience. It's okay. Let us let us bring you in. There are two plays you need to look at and two plays only in this game that pretty much sum up the Joe Burrow experience. The first one, Burrow had a play that I can only describe as Watson-esque, and you being a Texans fan Mm -hmm. will understand that. Mid-third quarter, he escapes multiple sack attempts, ran for a short gain, and it's just his competitiveness, his drive, his awareness, his, you talked about his speed and his physicality, he's not a small guy. Like, that's play number one. That just shows you his sort of makeup as, I'm not going to lose yards. Pretty much any other quarterback. I was just imagining, like, subbing in, like, Sam Darnold, who I think is a good quarterback, but he's folding out on the edge when Burrow spins out and says, nope, I'm getting three yards on this play. So that's play Mm -hmm. number one. The other play is the play you mentioned, and it's Burrow is so damn cool under pressure and the reason you can tell is his eyes almost never drop to the rush his eyes are almost always up and that mid fourth quarter throw to Boyd that you were talking about in the middle of the field is a case study in his calm we call it ice in his veins we've called him a serial killer we've called him everything he is not a guy you want to go against on third and long especially when he has protection or weapons, because, again, those two things. He is going to be calm. He's going to take the play right to the end. He is very rarely going to lift his eyes. He's going to do what he needs to to buy that extra second or two. If you watch those two plays, you know who Joe Burrow is, and you know the Bengals are in good hands for, you know, as long as they protect him, 
from now until he quits. Yeah, and he's he's one of the highest, uh, I guess you could say, rate of pressured quarterbacks in the league, not surprisingly. He's third, uh, only behind Daniel Jones and Carson Wentz. But he still has produced. Like He has uh, huge, huge passing numbers. Like He has 400 yards of production this year out of, I think it was like 2,200, just from throws under pressure, which is a lot. And even though he's, he's thrown a couple picks under pressure, because... I think early on in the season, especially, he was kind of learning what he could and couldn't get away with. You've seen him get better under pressure and start to kind of become that that serial killer LSU version of Joe Burrow where it, everything just moves in slow motion around him. And I, he is so legit worth that number one pick. Like, if I was a Bengals fan, I would be ecstatic because I'm seeing what he just pulled off against a really good Titans team that has already blown out some other really good teams in the AFC, like Buffalo. Uh, and came really damn close to beating Pittsburgh, and he shredded them. Like, that was one of the better quarterback performances against this Tennessee Titans defense all year. And that's coming from a rookie Joe Burrow that has a bad offensive line who's still trying to work on chemistry with his receivers. Like, if I was a Bengals fan, I would be so stoked for the next 10 years because Burrow is legit. Yeah, you got your answer. And we've talked about it time and again, and and the Bears are in this purgatory. Um, Until you get a real quarterback. Not a caretaker, not a not a bridge, not a guy that can get you through and get you a couple wins. Nothing else matters. Nope. Nothing matters. You you gotta get your guy, and if you don't have your guy, you gotta have the guts to do things like Arizona, where look, we picked Josh Rosen high. We don't think he's the guy. We're going and we're getting Kyler the next year. Like we're just, you know, you're talking about it as a sunk cost. And until you get the guy that fits your system and you believe in and will produce on a regular basis, you just can't say, well, we put so much into him and blah, blah. No, like the Daniel Jones experiment should be over, right? He's not going to be the guy consistently at the top end. If we're going to be bad this year and we get another shot, we got to take another shot and we got to take another shot. We got to take another shot until we get the guy that's going to hang out for 10 years and win us games. Um, and since well, I mean, look at, look at my Texans, you know, you start out in 2014 when uh, Bill O'Brien comes in, you're getting Brian Hoyer and then you're getting Ryan Fitzpatrick. Then you're trading for Brock Osweiler. And then you finally, after all these other experience, mm-hmm. you know, the Brandon Whedon experience, Tom Savage, mm. TJ Yates, all mm. these quarterbacks, mm. and then you get Deshaun. And then you know. And, that, and, then, and then, you then, know. then you know. And then you're good. And that's and it. Fine. And that's what teams have to do. And I, I am just, look, I am a fan of a team that hasn't figured that out yet. And until they figured it out, nothing is substantively going to change. That is a truism, and that is why Bengals fans should be extremely pleased. You got your guy. You're done looking. Now build around him and win as much as you can. So moving on to Niners-Hawks. Uh, Tevin Coleman was back. Nice to see him. Jamichael uh, Hasty, a fan of the pod, or a favorite of the podcast, was running pretty well, but he had an early fumble. It was overturned, but that came into play tonight because, again, the Niners played tonight. They got their cans ripped by the Packers but Jamichael had another fumble it was a thing in college it's a thing to watch as we go forward um Garoppolo had an ugly pick uh he was injured and out um there was a report this week that uh you know I think it was Dan Pompey put out that uh you know 
Garoppolo might be an option for the Bears after this season. And I was like, no, 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 based yeah, on the conversation. Can we not? Can we just the not? conversation we just had. So um, not a ton. Wilson hooks up with Metcalf again. Not surprising. That is becoming a weekly thing. Uh, we need to talk about the defense of the Seahawks because we have been talking about them, but largely in negative tones for the first part of the year. Um, the Seahawks defense has not been itself. Uh, it has not been a force. It has been run over. It has been allowing a lot of yards. And it kind of looks like the Seahawks defense is turning the corner, rounding into form. Um, and one of the things we need to talk about is Bobby Wagner. We talk about all these other people for middle linebacker, right? We talk about Fred Warner in San Francisco. We talk about uh, Levante, David, and Bush in Tampa Bay. We talk about all these great young middle linebackers. Um, I'm sorry, Bobby Wagner is kind of the reigning core of the, you know, interior linebackers but he hasn't been showing it this year and he bust through and sacked jimmy g in the end of the second quarter and it looked like he was a spider monkey flying at his face he just sort of jumped up <laughs> x'd out and slammed into him and i thought oh bobby wagner's back uh so that's a bootleg shot of the week nominee and it really does look like the defense is starting to pick up some slack we know the offense has been going really well um, certainly mentioned DK Metcalf, but, um, David Moore, uh, you know, they just keep cycling through running backs. Uh, one of my favorites, DJ Dallas, uh, who I got to do the, uh, sort of post draft analysis with for field goals gets into the end zone twice, uh, in his first real game of action, which is pretty cool. Alton Robinson, a guy we've talked about, uh, gets into the act sacking Jimmy G again, um, looks like the Hawks are starting to play as a more complete team, and that should scare teams not only in the NFC West but in the NFC generally because they've been getting by on largely letting Russ cook in the offense. And if they start getting defensive help, that's a thing. Yeah, Bobby's been basically just holding this defense together all by his damn self ever since Jamal got hurt. Uh, and I think we're getting close to Jamal Adams coming back in the supposed lineup. to be he next week. Play this week. Yep, Next week? Supposed, okay. Uh, yeah, supposed to be this Sunday. Uh, he'll test, and if he's ready to go, uh, we'll see. But uh, by next week for sure, but he could play this week. So if you get Jamal back, and then, again, that defensive line starting to create a little bit more pressure, um, just the defense in general starting to play at a much higher level, that should be extremely concerning for teams in the NFC. Also, speaking of Bobby Wagner because I feel like this is as good a moment as any to get on my soapbox. <laughs> Since he has kind of held this defense together by himself this whole year, uh, I want to go through his resume and, and just say, can we stop pretending that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer? Because what other linebackers do you know that are a Super Bowl champion, a six-time Pro Bowler, a five-team first-team All-Pro, or five-time first-team All-Pro, a one-time second-team All-Pro, so six times total in the All-Pro team, all-decades team for the 2010. How many other linebackers do you know with that resume that are not first ballot Hall of Famers? Like, he's one of the best of all time. Yeah, exactly. As a guy that lives in the Pacific Northwest, I, I don't know anybody <laughs> that that thinks that, or if I do, I know they're not from here or pay attention to you know football west of the Mississippi. Uh, because Wagner has been such a standout, and yes, he plays in the Pacific Northwest, and usually that means some late games that folks aren't paying attention to. But again, he's been tremendously consistent. He's been 
crazily impactful. Uh, he's not a guy that is is quiet in his stats or his impact typically, um, and has been doing it for a long time now. So if anybody is continuing to say that, it's kind of like people that said, you know, before this year, oh, Devontae Adams, he's not that good. You're always like, really? <laughs> are, you, are you serious? Are you, are you watching the game? Yeah. Uh, you know, there are those sort of, maybe under the radar players that don't get as much press, but if you're paying attention to football in general, you know that they're very, very good. Um, Wagner has blown the doors off that long ago. I can pretty much invalidate lists that he's not included on. If somebody puts out a list of, you know, Oh, best middle linebackers. And it's a five person list and he's not on it. I'm sorry. I'm not listening to your opinion anymore. You clearly forgot who should be like number two or three. There's, maybe three other line since Luke retired. There's maybe three other linebackers in the league that I would put in his class right now. And it's Levante. It's Fred Warner and probably Eric Kendricks. And like, literally that's it. Like that, that is it. And even then, yeah, and I put, I put Wagner ahead of two of those. So, um, who do you, who do you have as number one? Is it Fred Warner? Uh, Fred Warner, if you're talking about like who you build a team around, because he's so young and he's so good so fast. And we watched him blow up multiple plays with his team getting the crap kicked out of him in the third and fourth quarter. Like that guy plays, I was screaming it out while we were working on notes. He was, he was blowing up stuff. Uh, he and Aaron Jones had a nice little beef going tonight. Um, but no, Warner is so good. We've, we've sung his praises multiple times. So if you're talking about like who you'd, who you'd pick as a centerpiece going forward. I, I don't think there's any question that's Warner because he's got younger legs than any of those guys. Um, but I would put Warner and Levante David in and around Wagner's class, and then everybody else is is later in the conversation. Oh, and I, I guess I should throw Darius Leonard in there too. So that's what, four or five guys max? He's getting there. You know, you yeah, know. I mean, Leonard is getting there, but I, would I put him ahead of Wagner right now? I wouldn't. No. Would I no. would I put him in the conversation with Warner for hey if you're going to build around because again younger guy that's uh really ascended tremendously quickly and showed us again this week why he's that good. Um and there there's guys all over. Like there's a lot of good interior linebacker talent uh in the NFL right now and and but Bobby Wagner's like Bobby Wagner's the king and you're going to have to knock him off. He's he's super He's good. he's the dude. Uh, now that being said, I do want to uh, hit a little bit on Saints Bears. Um, do we have to? Uh, just a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit. Sure, sure. That's what they all say. <laughs> it's just a little prick. It won't hurt that very much. Oh God. Yes, it will. It's. Can can we? Uh, I can sum it up for you. C- pain. No, bears are gonna bears. Like, Bears are going to yeah. Bears. Like, Bears are going to be super good on defense. They're going to live in a Drew Brees-led team with uh, some weapons, but not nearly the amount of weapons that they typically have. They're going to limit them, but the offense is going to give them no chance. They're going to score no meaningful points. They're going to look completely bottled up, even against a defense that struggled, uh, especially against the pass. Um, and quite frankly, one of the things I was most upset by is that they didn't pull a Brian Flores on drew Brees because he had no receivers he had all backup receivers like no mm-hmm. michael thomas no Manuel sanders like he had a cast of you know the 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 backup the understudy cast of the dirty dozen playing wide receiver and they didn't press right 
they didn't do the same thing Flores did. They were like, well, we've got a lot of pass rushers and we've got some really physical corners. We should play press, right? We should we should just stuff it and see if they can get it out, right? And they didn't, and that killed me. So typical Bears, really pretty solid defense all the way around, although I would have liked to see them press a little bit more. Offense that cannot get out of its own way for multiple reasons the offensive line is ravaged i get it but there's some play calling vagaries there and some execution vagaries as well um yeah that's it that's my summary i i I won't press you anymore on that game but i will say they play the titans this week we just talked about how the titans got thrashed by joe burrow with a bad offensive line uh because they have a terrible third down defense i'll tell you what I'll tell you what. Here's what we'll do. You give me Joe Burrow for the week. <laughs> and the Bears whoop the Titans. I On one week's prep, you give me Joe Burrow for the week to lead the Bears offense with Allen Robinson, David Montgomery. I don't care that their entire line has been ravaged by COVID and they're starting practice squatters on the offensive line because – white hairs in protocol and guys are injured guys are they have nobody left to start on the offensive line you give me joe burrow with that defense i would put money on the bears against the titans oh life of a bears fan indeed moving on pat's bills uh slightly less depressing game yeah we talked about zach moss good to see him get going again uh again the weather was a thing uh, for this particular game so the combination of singletary and moss was a big deal um, very weird to see the patriots get ravaged up the middle in the run game um uh allen josh allen looks like he's settled a little bit he had that ugly stretch a couple weeks ago he had a great first month or actually probably five weeks um had a little bit of a rough stretch looks like he's settled out he's a little bit more patient that's good news for bears fans needed to see that turnaround uh what else cam uh cam had a interesting game running he still looks to me like he's pressing physically when he throws people say he's right physically i don't think that's the case because he's really he's almost kind of shot putting it um yeah something's off it does not look like that super smooth hey i'm a 260 pound guy that can just whip it wherever i want to of sort of cam prime um need to mention damian harris he's got those classic bama running back skills really pushed it up the middle against the bears d later in the game um but ended in a heartbreaker cam rips off a decent run rumbles down looks like they're getting into position and fumbles and the bills recover that's just a it's a rough way the patriots absolutely could have had this game i know the patriots fans are screaming that they should have had this game um just a a rough way for them to lose and sort of fall from grace to a divisional opponent. Yeah, I I feel bad for Cam because the offensive line hasn't been great in pass protection. They've been better run blocking than than pass protecting. Other than I guess Jacoby Myers, like there, there's really Jacoby's no turning on there. a little bit. We need to mention Jacoby because yeah. we've been talking about potential for a couple of years with Jacoby, and he's he's really he's starting to look the part. Uh, although, it but he's all they got. Oh he's yeah, Edelman's out with a knee injury, and and the rest of the Pats wide receivers, uh, Demetrius Bird or uh, Darius Bird. No, not Darius Bird. Demetrius Bird. I forget. Blank Bird. <laughs> 
<laughs> again. Uh, Demir know. Bird. Demir. Demir. I knew it was Demetrius. So there you go. Uh, yeah, not a lot left in the Patriots receiving core, but uh, Jacoby Myers showing out and uh, got a shout out. Rex Burkhead uh, keeps running hard, even though he knows his team is doomed. Uh, so him. But I mean, shit, there's other teams in the division that are walking out there with Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Gusecki, and Miles Gaskin. And the big bad Patriots are like, well, we got Damian Harris and Rex Burkhead. <laughs> you know, like it's I, it's not fair. Yeah, the balance of power has shifted for sure. And we talked about this. I, I guess you could yeah. say it kind of goes back to when they took Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf, which I tweeted literally right when that pick came in a couple of years ago. I said that was a mistake. I said it was a huge mistake to take Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf. And I, I Bill Belichick is the GOAT. I will say that he's the goat, but Bill Belichick, the GM, now that Tom Brady's oh, Bill not Belichick there, just claimed salary cap this year. Somebody was like, "So you know," and you knew it was going to happen. So Tom left this year, and you're in the shitter, right? And he's like, "Ah, salary cap." And I was like, "Ooh." Ross Tucker tweeted something about that, like you know. So let's look at the standings. Tom Brady, <laughs> like whatever he is, five and two. Bill Belichick, two and five. Salary cap excuses. Belichick one. Brady zero. Um, yeah, it's, I uh, just, I think Belichick, the GM is catching up to Belichick, the coach, because I the talent agree. is not there. It's yeah. just not there. We should go to our favorite AFL matchup of the week. <laughs> Chargers yeah. Broncos, um, it started off, uh, not great, uh, trading picks. Uh, I just want to say something about Herbert that we probably should have put in the point after he is one of the few quarterbacks in the league, uh, already that he makes certain throws that are indefensible. Yes. The combination of his placement, uh, his velocity, his timing, he makes certain throws. He's made a couple in the last few weeks indefensible. You cannot be in good enough position to stop that throw. And he's doing it to a cast of guys that you don't know. Like, yes, there's Keenan Allen. And yes, there's Mike Williams. But he didn't, he wasn't throwing them to Keenan Allen's and Mike Williams. He was throwing them to Darius Guyton and, uh, you know, another cast of characters that you might not be able to mention. And his arm is super-duper special. We've said it a bunch of times, but he starts off with a really rough pick to Justin Simmons. But it's basically him and Locke sort of going back uh, and forth. This was a really entertaining game. Could have been our third featured game pretty easily. Um, Mike Williams had a really big day. He's had a a sort of quiet campaign so far. Um, he had a sick one-hander for the score. Um, Mike Williams, obviously a very talented wide receiver and got to love having Justin Herbert there just like Keenan Allen does. But um, the Chargers are up 24-3 to before Broncos running back breaks a couple tackles, uh, heads out in the mid-third quarter for a long 55-yard score. They're up 24-3. to This game is in hand. Uh, for the Chargers. Uh, this is what we call foreshadowing, kids, because it doesn't end up that way. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, you're right. I it, it it amazes me how this just continues to happen. <laughs> you know, you're you're getting 15, 16 point leads every single week, and you're blowing it almost every single week. I, I if the Can Falcons we have were the Bizarro Super Bowl where we have the Chargers play the falcons 
that's just a game where nobody wins. And since there's no It actual, just goes on forever. It's like a 16 overtime game and nobody There's no score. end to the Super Bowl. Like it, once you're in playoffs, like you you play till there's a winner. That would be an eight-hour Super Bowl. I just feel like both of these. Yeah, I just feel like both of those teams are are teams that just find. I mean, twenty-four to three, and you've got Herbert. Like you've got healthy guys, right? There's the Chargers are not one of those teams that's been you know knock on wood at this particular point completely flummoxed by injuries. They've they've still got you know guys at the running back spot. They have a really nice core of receivers. Their offensive line isn't completely destroyed. Herbert's been playing really well. Like their defense still has, you know, good players and they're up 24 to three on a Broncos team. That's still learning how to win. And they don't, they don't make it. They lose the Chargers the, draw the flag PI the in the end after. zone. Yeah. The PI was kind of, yeah, there's a, I mean, we'll get a lot of comments about the PI and it was not great for sure, but the bottom line is they let the Broncos rip back. Um, Albert O gets a nice TD reception from Locke. Uh, you know, Sean Hamilton on the crosser legs it out for the score. Broncos pulled it within three, like the Broncos charged their way back into this. And you can say the PI at the end was junk. I don't disagree with you. Um, but Locke ends up hitting Hamler for the score. That was, again, a disputed thing. They went back. They looked at it. They confirmed it. Chargers draw a flag on the PAT, and that's it. Broncos steal one. Um, a crazy game, uh, but, you know, fascinating to watch. Really cool. Tons of talent on both sides. We talked about both of these teams in our sort of uh, preseason looks at them. These are teams that are going to be good for a pretty long while. Uh, especially with Herbert developing a lot faster than we thought. Uh, the Broncos being a track team in terms of the offense they've assembled. Uh, Going to be entertaining games for a while out of those two. One note I want to say, you mentioned the Justin Simmons pick, and uh, our buddy Ben Solak put out kind of a little breakdown in that pick. And this is something that I think defensive coordinators are are going to have to take a look at because when you look at that pick, it was, it was a single high coverage, but Justin Simmons completely baited it out and he actually flipped his hips towards the sideline and expanded like it was a two high coverage even though it was a one high coverage and when you're doing that so the chargers deep balls are predicated on what are called sight adjusts meaning the receiver is going to adjust his route based on what he sees from a safety and, uh, and the quarterback is going to adjust based on what he sees from a safety and so when simmons bailed out like he was playing a deep half and not center field that actually caused the receiver to then bend to a post route instead of carrying it up the seam. And Simmons was doing that on purpose because he's like, look, I, I know that you guys are going to go to a post as soon as I expand out wide. And as soon as he saw that, as soon as Herbert saw that and he let it loose, Simmons is like, oh, I gotcha. And then he just went right back to center field and picked it off. And so I think uh, defensive coordinators are going to have to pay attention to that. And, you know, Vic Fangio is a great defensive coach. He's going to get his guys prepared. But there's something to learn from that play, which is if you can kind of use a rangy safety to show one thing and almost like declare a receiver's route for him, you know exactly where the ball's going because Herbert's going to see leverage and he's going to let it fly because he's a very aggressive downfield thrower. And so I think one lesson for Herbert is even though he sees a safety go one way, maybe double check it. <laughs> Because yeah. I, I think now, you know, all pro caliber safeties like Justin Simmons are seeing a pattern here of like, look, if we can just dictate to him, he's going to yeah. throw us the ball. Make him declare. And the other thing about Herbert is 
he can do that. There's a lot of quarterbacks that can't do that because they're going to have to declare based on arm strength and getting it to a streaking receiver. He can hold it for a second. He's got uh, the arm to throw it 65, 70 yards. So he'll learn from that. Uh, he's not, he's not a stupid guy. Herbert's intelligence, uh, you know, very strongly noted quality throughout the draft process. He'll, he'll pick it up, but Justin Simmons is no dummy. And that was, it was a great way to start off the game for them. Um, anything, well, I want to talk about Vikes Packers. I'm going to kind of skip over Cowboys Eagles. No offense. It actually turned out to be a pretty good game. Um, but I wanted to talk about Rodgers Adams, and, and this comes up again tonight because they played again tonight on Thursday Night Football. But Rodgers to Devontae Adams is uh, annoying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but their connection is at a level that I would put them. There's two other connections in the league that I would put them at the same level as. And it's the same as uh, Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett or uh, Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. And yeah. the bottom line is on those three connections, any one of those three quarterback to wide receiver connections, when they let it go, you just assume it's going to be completed. No matter how weird or wild or loopy it looks, you just assume they know what they're doing. And you're actually a little bit surprised when the ball hits the turf uh, on those three connections because they're just kind of preternatural. Like those three know each other so well that when they toss one up, you're just assuming it's completed. Um, and we saw it again tonight. Rodgers to Adams is just, it's basically automatic pitch and catch at this point. Um, terribly upsetting as a Bears fan. As a football fan, it's fascinating to watch uh, because it is so good and you come to count on it almost so naturally. But Aaron Rodgers is the most annoying because he will always pick up, we talked about Joe Burrow earlier, but he will always pick up that third or fourth and long late. Always. Like, <laughs> Again, yep. when he misses it, you're more surprised. Like third and 17 and, you know, minute and a half left in the fourth quarter. And of course Aaron Rodgers is going to flip it to a guy that's wide open. Like it always happens. You're just so conditioned to it. And and that was kind of the story of this game. Um, I put down that it was two teams being exactly who they are. Like the, the Vikes were not throwing it because, look, Down Cook was having an all-world day. 30 for 163 and three TDs rushing two for 63 and another touchdown receiving. He was just, he was their offense and the Vikings were like, sure, man, go for it. Him and Alexander Madison were pretty much driving and the Packers were on the other end. Um, look, they got some decent yards out of their running backs, but really it was about, look, we're going to put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hand and let him throw it. Um, and they were just sort of both playing to their strengths and seeing how it worked out. My main thing from this game is how many more years are we going to go without the Packers investing in the linebacker position? Because mm, it's a good question. Year after year after year, and I mean the inside linebacker position, uh, you know, I don't think that they've had a great run defense since what, oh, 2010? So a decade ago, when they won the Super Bowl, it was the last time I think they had a good run defense, mainly because they refused to invest in the inside linebacker position. They had Blake Martinez for a while, who got a lot of tackles, but most of the tackles were six yards downfield, so it's not like they really mattered that much. Like, if they had their own Levante Date, if they, if they had their own Fred Warner, if they had their own Eric Kendricks, and they had plenty of opportunities to draft all these guys, it's not like they were high first-round picks— 
But if they actually gave a shit about the inside linebacker position and invested and got some talent that could play off a of Kenny Clark, that could sift and sort through traffic inside of, of the Smith brothers who both set good edges against the run, like it's not just about having a dominant defensive line to stop the run. You have to have linebackers that can fill the other gaps and get off blocks and shoot gaps and make plays in the backfield and be able to cover, you know, a running back in space. Like they they don't have linebackers. But and Brent, they're you, paying when, so many wide receivers, they just can't. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't you go up against a back like Dalvin Cook that eats bad linebackers for breakfast and then he scores four touchdowns on four straight possessions and you look flabbergasted that it happened. It's like, well, duh. Yeah. You don't have linebackers. Like, what do you, yeah, what do you, you want? Didn't, you didn't invest to stop that. Um, yes. No, it's it's fascinating. But uh, my favorite play in this entire game was the very last play. Rodgers looking to score on the last play, and you think, oh, it's going to happen, right? He's going to throw the Hail Mary again. They're going to win it again. Damn him. And who should snap him from behind but DJ Wanham with a strip sack. Beautiful tomahawk sack from behind and i have to i have to tell my dj wantum note because when you're going into a a cycle of evaluating players for whatever whether it's the draft or in this case it was the senior bowl which is where you and i met wantum was literally the first player i watched specifically to get ready for the senior bowl because i was like look the bears need pass rushers they ended up taking travis gibson at the end um but DJ Wanham, I was like, I got to get through the pass rushers. And I just I picked one, and I was like, all right, DJ Wanham's the guy. And I was kind of meh through his whole tape. I was like, well, he's he's okay, but, you know, he's got some flashes, but nah, not a guy I'm really not a guy I'm really high on. I take back everything I said about you, DJ. Keep giving him hell. Anytime you blast Aaron Rodgers in the back to win a game, I'm all good with it. So go DJ Wanham. Yeah, it was a it was a pure effort sack, and uh, it was one of those ones. I think it was a three man rush, if I remember correctly, uh, and it must have been like four or five seconds into the rush. But he stuck with it. Uh, he gave the old tomahawk chop on the end, just pure effort. And I, I gotta say, there's a there's a high proportion of sacks in this league that are really more about effort than just straight up beating a guy. So uh, credit to Wanham who. You know, we, we kind of talked about this when we were down in Mobile. He was kind of the king of the unblock sack <laughs> or the unblock play when yeah. he was at South Carolina. Uh, him and then who was the kid from Florida who was the same way? Uh, not Zuniga, but the other one. Where like uh, they, Green uh, oh, yeah, Texans drafted no. him. I should know this. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say he's your guy now. He's uh, my guy. No, but yeah. So, I mean, both of those guys had a lot of highlights where they really didn't get a lot of attention or they got none at all and they blew up the quarterback and it was like, look at that. And I'm like, yeah, he, he went against air and he hit a quarterback. That's amazing. Wanham uh, was just, yeah, Wanham was... Jonathan Grenard. Grenard, yeah. No, Wanham was one of those guys. But again, if you get, uh, if you blast Aaron Rodgers in the back and force a fumble to, to cause the Vikes to win a game against a division rival, uh, you're going to get a bootleg shot of the week nominee out of that. So... Uh, Wanham joins Wagner, Menka, Lamarcus Joyner, Emmanuel Ogba, and Michael Brockers as our bootleg shot of the week nominees. But we will lift the, list those out and let you vote on them. Um, anything you want to say about Bucks Giants besides the Daniel Jones experiments over? Oh my God! Just let it end. Can we just uh, fast? So many people to... though look at the end of that game. This is the this is the one point I'll make about this game before we get out of here because we're stretching into two hours and we know you love it, but we're damn tired. Uh, and Brett's got to edit this whole thing tomorrow morning. So uh, 
the one thing about Daniel Jones, so he leads them back at the end of the game, right? And he does have a drive. And look, the announcers, who I have a lot of respect for, um, especially Lewis Riddick, are talking him up. They are carrying Daniel Jones's water. And I'm looking at what I see on the field, and Daniel Jones has about four or five disastrous reps during that drive. The one that they're saying, and he's hung in there, and he's giving him a chance. And, he, and I'm like, yeah, and he almost threw a pick right there. And he almost threw a pick right there. Like, and he doesn't. And look, the diehard Giants fans that don't want to admit that their team is at a place where they invested high in a quarterback and they still don't have anything are going to be like, see, see, Daniel Jones, the whole reason he's in the game, he's not getting support and blah, blah, blah. And Joe Judge this. No, look, Daniel Jones turns the ball over at a historic rate for a quarterback. Um, if he was allowed to continue as a starter, he would probably break those records of, you know, Daniel Craig for fumbles, which Brett Favre then broke. And like, it's, it's no, like, don't let the, this is from a guy who watched Trubisky for too long. Don't let those flashes at the end of the fourth quarter make you think, and that's why we need him, right? No, no. Yeah. The first three quarters are why you need the guy. And you should have him on the bench comfortably with a 15 to 17 point lead with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. He shouldn't be out there trying to lead some last minute, last gasp, come back and you saying, see, see, he's good. And that's where you are with Daniel Jones. Yeah, it's like people always criticize Lamar for not being able to, you know, come back when he's in a hole. And it's like, well, in 95% of his games, he's leading by three scores. So what do you want? You know, with Daniel Jones, A, he can't come back from a hole, but B, he's never leading anyway. So it's it's the worst of both worlds. The turnovers are just awful. and the, the picks that he throws under pressure in that Tampa game where I'm like, there's no explanation for it. There is no explanation for it. At least that is a good explanation. He just panics. He throws balls away under pressure. He has zero pocket presence. I'm just, I'm over it. I'm, I'm done with this. And I, I took so much heat, so much heat the last couple of years from Giants fans where I'm like, I don't see it. And I'll, I'll admit, like, I've been, a, I've been wrong on a lot of quarterbacks. I was wrong uh, on my evaluation of Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech. I was seemingly wrong on my evaluation of Herbert. I was terribly wrong on my evaluation of Christian Hackenberg. This is one of the ones where I didn't like it, and I was right. And I'm not saying it happens a lot, but, like, if I'm willing to admit that I was wrong about Mahomes and Herbert and Hackenberg... People got to be willing to admit that they were wrong about Daniel Jones. He's not good. And I don't think he'll ever be good. Yeah, there's parts of him that look really good. Um, and that's the part that people glom onto. And the bottom line is, if you give him a predictable pattern and protection, a clean pocket, he can make highlight throws. Like, he looks really good in that circumstance. Bottom line is he's going to get that circumstance about one out of five times in the NFL. Because it's the NFL. It, it's never yeah, he's perfect gonna in the He's going to get that circumstance. Yeah, he's going to get that circumstance maybe 20% of the time. And what he does the other 80% of the time is, is going to determine whether or not your team wins or loses the game. And right now in that other 80%, he looks rough. 
I, I could yeah. go as far as abysmal. In that 20%, he looks golden, but that's not enough to win you games consistently in the NFL. So if you're satisfied with that, you are going to be satisfied with a 6-8 to eight win team consistently until they make a change. I don't really care how much talent they put around him. Um, so it's just one of those things. It's a hard admission. Look, I'm a Bears fan. I get it. I'm like, the Bears have nothing at quarterback right now. Um, and they have a lot of other salary cap liabilities. It's a tough position to admit. I, you know, it, it doesn't feel good. Um, it's not something I think about right before I go to sleep if I want to sleep well. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you just got to admit it. So let's wrap this up. Get us out of here. Get you ready to process some of this stuff. Uh, what are you working on for the film room? So I still got that uh, Tyron Matthew episode coming out, I think tomorrow friday same day as this podcast and then next week is i i actually don't know what next week's topic is i know i'm going to be covering uh, the ravens steelers um rematch the week after that leading into the thanksgiving week but this coming week i'm still not quite exactly sure what i'm be doing so if you have any suggestions feel free to drop a line i was gonna say send your content updates to uh to brett coleman um yeah yeah i got the week off of bears over beers which was very nice need to thank my podcast co-host jb for that but you should still listen because he snagged bill zimmerman um who has his very own bears podcast uh and he was a terrific guest uh again not the greatest things to talk about in bears land right now uh but a quality podcast from both of those guys uh who i love and work with so check out bears over beers this week i will be back into the regularly scheduled lineup next week um and other than that i don't have a lot going on this week so i am just gonna uh take my shot and my beer and go home no i am at home damn it <laughs> i hate the pandemic but uh no we've got plenty of other stuff to talk about a good slate of games coming up this next week um and you know keep it tuned to all those games always something to watch somebody told me the other game i was tweeting with somebody while i was watching something they said you still watching it was the end of a blowout and i was like look there's always something to learn right you can always always check out a player a scheme a tendency whatever um so keep digging for those things whether it's with your favorite team or the whole nfl we will be here for you providing content throughout the whole season thank you again all of you who listen in every way youtube on podcast channels around the world uh it is fantastic support we feel it uh we will interact with you as much as possible definitely hit us up on twitter uh, or on the YouTube channel. We try and get to those comments every week. And until then, uh, listen up and we will talk to you soon. Later. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.